0: Amen. God bless you and you may be seated. Well, I know a lot of people are away this week, so we were thinking that there would be a a large fraction of our church gone, but more of you are now back from your own uh, time away, so it's good to see all of you uh, here once again. And I hope soon more people will sit even closer to me up here in the front area, but I know it takes time. We'll be patient with that, but uh, we'll just trust in God, all along the way. Amen, amen. So let's turn to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter three, and we're going to get at least one verse into chapter four. So we're we're on the home stretch of the book of Philippians. And again, I hope you've enjoyed this series as much as I have. And I also pray that when you come and listen to a sermon from Philippians, that you don't just leave it there. I want you to go home today and throughout this week and keep meditating on not just what I said today or any other Sunday, but read it over again. And ask the Holy Spirit to just keep touching your life and teaching you because that's a ministry of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised to us that He would teach you all things. And so I pray that we all do that during the week. So let's turn to Philippians chapter 3. We'll start from verse 17 and then into chapter 4, verse 1. And as you're turning to that, the title today is Mindful of the Last Days. Mindful of the Last Days. So let's stand together as I begin. Philippians 3, verse 17. Fred, my brother, it's so good to see you again. Welcome back. Welcome back. I'm sure your family is excited too. Amen? (laughs) Verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, The Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is even able to subdue all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Amen. You may be seated mindful of the last days there are times in the scripture where we are given an encouragement or a warning along with a reminder that we are living in the last days that we are coming to the end of this world as we know it that soon the Lord Jesus will appear in the clouds and rapture the believers out of this world. For instance, like in the book of Hebrews, it encourages us to never forsake fellowshipping with each other and encouraging one another. Why? Because you gotta keep in mind the day of the Lord is coming. The Bible also gives us a warning. For example, it teaches us that we are to be gatekeepers of our lives, of our family, and to not allow wickedness into our life. Be a gatekeeper. And remember, you don't know when the master of the house is coming. He will come as a thief in the night to those who are not ready. And so many times, encouragement or warning, being mindful that we are in the last days. Do you believe we're in the last days? Amen. We are. And so in our reading today, this is what I see Paul doing. Paul gives us three things to consider in light of or being mindful of the fact that we are coming to the end. The Lord is coming soon. And with that in mind, here are the three things he talks about in our verses today. Number one, he speaks about patterns Number two, about pretenders. And number three, about perspectives. Let's consider each one of these being mindful that we are in the last days. You ready? All right, let's begin with patterns. For this, look once again at that first verse, 17. Brethren, join me, join in following my example And note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Join in following my example, Paul says. Paul was not being arrogant when he said this. He simply recognized that God placed him in the role that he was in. God put him there, and it was God that was doing a great work in Paul's life. Paul understood that he was what he was because of a gracious God. Whether that meant Paul was a tent maker by trade or that in the ministry he was an apostle or a missionary, it was God who placed him in those positions of life and Paul recognized that. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but by the grace of God i am what i am it's god who has made me and it's god who has placed me it was paul's example that he called believers attention toward and that example was this whatever position god placed him in in ministry or in the secular world or in life whatever position god placed him in Paul humbled himself, and he honored the Lord through it. And he gave God glory through it. That's Paul's example. Again, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, whatever you do, whatever your role is in life, whatever you go to accomplish, in whatever responsibilities you have, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God of God. That became Paul's pattern in life, recognizing that God placed him in certain positions of life, and he honored God through each one of those positions. And it makes me wonder, could I say the same thing about myself? Could I say these same things to my children? follow my example, my pattern? Could I say it to my wife? Could I say it to you, my church family? Am I an example of someone who, like Paul, recognizes it's God who has placed me where I am? And therefore, I honor him through all those things. And how about you? Could the same be said of you? Now, you may not be a missionary like Paul, but you might be a spouse, a husband or a wife. You might be a parent. You might own a business, or you might be the boss or a manager. You might be in ministry, or you might be a student. It's God who has placed you where you are today. So what are you doing with it? Proverbs chapter 4, verse 26 says, Ponder the path of your feet. Ponder means to consider carefully. Be mindful. Consider what? The path of your feet. Consider where you are walking in life and consider how you are walking in life. What I love about that verse, as we consider our path, The word path means literally to walk in a circle, in a circumference, or in another idea, revolving. We are walking in a revolving motion. And as we revolve, what are we revolving around? Or who are we revolving around? To me, this verse is saying, consider your walk. Does your walk, your life, revolve around God? One of my most privileged positions in life is to be a dad. In fact, still today, to four children, I'm still called Daddy. Except when they're mad at me, then Dad comes out. But normally, I'm still called Daddy, and I love that. But when I consider myself in the place of being a dad, I have to ask myself, Am I a father whose life revolves around God? And when my my children say the same thing about me? That my life revolves around him. Ponder the path of your feet. Now why is this all important? These examples, these patterns, why is this topic so important? Well, for one revolving around God, living in honor of him, recognizing that he has placed us where we are, it glorifies God. It honors him when we do such things, when we think in such ways, and when we live as a good example. It honors Jesus. But something else that's important is in that word pattern. Pattern. It comes from a Greek word, tipos. And it's where we in the English language get the word type from, T-Y-P-E. Type as in typing on a typewriter. Because the word pattern and typing have the same idea. The word means that something is being struck. Now when you're typing on a typewriter, I know some of you don't even know what I'm talking about right now, but find one of those antique objects, start typing away on it. Every time you punch a letter, there's a hammer, a metal hammer, with that letter engraved on it, and when you punch that letter, a hammer smacks into the ink and punches it against the paper, and you have engraved a letter, an ink, upon that page. That's what pattern here means. It means to leave an impression, to strike, and to leave a pattern in something else. Leaving an impression. Impression. Now if you're a parent here, you should be quick to realize as a parent, you leave impressions upon your children. Amen? There are many people in our relationships of life, we leave impressions upon their lives, but I can't think of any greater example than a parent and their children. And children are so quick to learn, and quick to copy, and they never forget many of these things do you know before I as a young boy before I knew what the Bible said concerning many issues of life my mom and my dad were already impressing themselves on my life for instance some of the things that we hear about today like racism The Bible has a lot to say about racism. But at the age of 12, I wasn't sure what exactly the Bible said. But I watched my father. My father loved every person. And it didn't matter what color skin they had or what language they spoke or where they were from or what kind of lifestyle they once led. My father loved every person. Why? Because all of us are united in that we are sinners and we need to be saved. And that's all my father saw in a person. They need Christ. And it didn't matter what you looked like. You're a person as he was, as I am. And my father could hug and kiss the cheek of any man. And I saw that in him and it impressed in my life. So that before I even read about those issues in the Bible, I already had that pattern being impressed upon my life. When it comes to the trials of life, I know the Bible has a lot to say about that, but as a 12-year-old boy, I, I didn't know everything the Bible said, but my mom showed me. My mom showed me the pattern of what to do when the trials come. I know that when my mom was facing heavy trials in life, I remember days coming home from school. I was always the first one to come home. My mom would already be home. I'd come inside, go to say hello. My mom would be sitting on the couch. Her Bible opened on her lap and just crying. Why? Because in the face of difficulty and trial, she knew what it was like to just seek God in that quiet time, to just read through the word and meditate on it and allow the Lord to minister to her life. Those weren't tears of sadness, they were tears of joy and worship before the Lord. And my mom impressed upon me the importance of that kind of relationship with God. They also taught me a very big issue today, something that I'm very passionate about, and I hope you are too, and that is the life of an unborn child. Protecting the lives of unborn children. Again, before I knew what the Bible said about that, my mom and dad were already showing me. When I was a young teenager, my parents got involved with foster care. Because you know, there are many mothers in the world today that will choose to have an abortion because they feel like they are living in such poverty. How could they take care of a child? or the man that they were with is gone nowhere to be found and they have no family so they have no help in life and so they choose the way of abortion whatever the case is they feel like there's no hope and that's the only conclusion and so my parents got involved with foster care and we had many many kids i've had so many little brothers and sisters that i helped take care of and watch and feed and change diapers They came from all races and all kinds of backgrounds. Some of their moms were addicted to heroin and cocaine. Many of the fathers, some moms, had multiple men that had multiple children with them. And some of these men were in jail and some of them were nowhere to be found. And so my parents took these children into our home, loved them and cared for them, to give hope to the mother that we are here to support and help you. And sometimes the mom would decide to give that child for adoption. And so we kept that child, sometimes for two or two years. And finally, the child was adopted. And my parents always kept relationships with these new families where the children were going. And my mom and dad never forgot about these hurting mothers who don't know what to do. And my mom and dad always ministered to them, helped them, supported them. Watching them The way they held life as precious has made me feel the same way. That's been impressed upon my life. And I love the children. And I also love the moms who are trying to figure out today, what am I to do? As Christians, we are to love the unborn child. And we are to love that mother who's not sure what she's going to do. Amen? these are the impressions that we get from each other so paul says be mindful we're living in the last days are you yourself following the example of paul following that pattern submitting to the lord understanding that it's god who's placed you where you are and honoring him through it and are you leaving an impression on others about the right behavior, and the right attitudes to have in life. The students that are here today, and I can think of Yaya, my daughter, Gabby, Rachel very soon, and many others that are in school. You change schools a lot. Luca, and you, you, you graduate, and then you go off to college somewhere, and you leave one school, go to another. You leave some people, and you meet new people. You never know. What kind of last impression, Rachel, you can make on the students of your school right now? Because in a few months, you may never never see some of them ever again. And the last thing you want to leave is a good impression, what it means to trust in the Lord. Amen? Amen, students? Patterns. Are you being a good example? And are you impressing upon your children or your friends or the people who work for you the kinds of attitudes and behaviors that glorify God number two pretenders verse 18 and the first part of verse 19 for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame. Imagine for a moment, Paul is dictating this letter to Timothy, and Paul's carefully considering everything he wants to say. And maybe he's sitting next to Timothy and and describing what he wants to say, and Timothy's writing it down, and he's chained to the Roman guard, and that Roman soldier looks down at Paul and notices tears coming down his cheeks and falling upon the parchment that Timothy is writing on and the Roman soldier says Paul cheer up don't forget you're a Roman citizen I'm sure all things will be well they can't crucify you I mean you're one of us I'm sure in the end everything's gonna work out don't worry and Paul says I know everything will work out that's not why I'm weeping And the soldier says well Paul don't worry the, these people that you're writing to from Philippi I'm sure you're going to get to see them again. You'll be able to reunite with them. Don't weep. Don't worry. Don't be discouraged. Soon enough, you'll see your friends again. And Paul says, I believe that. That's not why I'm weeping. Then why are you weeping, Paul? Because of the enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul often cried for those who rejected the cross of Christ. And to me, that is a heart of Jesus Christ. Maybe if you were to tell somebody about Jesus and they rejected it, you sort of shut them off. You put them away. You never want to talk to them again. That's not how Paul felt, I don't believe. He cried over them. He cried for them. Paul, In these words, he may be speaking of two kinds of people, these enemies of the cross of Christ. And he wept over both of them. He might be talking about the Judaizers. Remember we talked about them? Jews who had some belief in Jesus, but you can't just believe in Jesus. You've got to add works to your life in order to be saved. So to the Judaizers, it's Jesus plus all your works, and then you will be saved. Paul calls that a false gospel. And these Judaizers were trying to convince Gentile people who knew nothing about the Jewish traditions and religion, and they were trying to get these Gentiles to look like them and to do what they were doing and to practice all their traditions. And if you don't, then you're not really saved. Paul may be speaking of them. Because when a person hears the good news of Jesus, that he died for our sin, that all the work required to save you, Jesus did it all through his cross. A hundred percent of the work, he did it for you. All that's left is for you to have faith in Christ. Christ but if I come along and say, no, that's not enough, you must add good works to your life in order to be saved. That would be forsaking the cross altogether. That would make the cross absolutely meaningless. If we could be saved by our works, then Christ died for nothing. That's what Paul said. He may be talking about these Judaizers. Now we might ask, well, what's really so wrong with that that idea i mean we just want people to act better to grow up stop doing bad things so what's wrong with saying if you want to be a real christian yes believe in jesus but you got to prove yourself act better behave go to church and then you will be saved i mean is it so wrong to teach that is it so wrong to want people to live better and do better in life well, consider this. Paul says, if you think that way, you are an enemy of the cross of Christ. And your end is destruction. Someone comes in your life and says, we're saved by faith plus our works. Run. Run fast. Tell them they're wrong first, and then get out of there. We should have no fellowship with people who teach such things. He may be talking about Judaizers. He may also be talking about false believers. People who say, yes, we're with you, when they're really not. False believers or false brethren in Paul's life. People who spoke like believers. They associated with believers only to prove themselves as pretenders having no born-again experience and having no genuine faith today it's no different there are many pretenders there are many pretenders that go to a church there are pretenders that will go to church they sing the songs they'll give an offering and when they leave they leave a life live a life full of lust Full of selfish ambitions. Paul says the kind of people whose God is their belly. It's all about themselves, their selfishness, fulfilling their evil lusts in life. A person who is born again should not be going to satisfy his own lusts in life. That makes no sense at all. And so what you have are pretenders, people who may not even have any relationship whatsoever with Jesus Christ these are the ones that think well as long as I fellowship with believers as long as I go to a church and I do some Christian things then I should be okay Paul says no you're a pretender and you fit the category enemy of the cross of Christ You know, in Scripture, Judas was a pretender. Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples. He heard Jesus just like the other disciples did. He walked where Jesus walked just like they did. He ministered just like the others did. Everything they did, he did it with them. On the outside, he seemed like a disciple of Christ. But when you read the Gospel of John... You get a sense from what John says about Judas that John and all the other disciples they had no idea that not once was this man a true believer in Christ John says this man was a thief that's who he was that's what he did Judas was a thief before Jesus called him into the fellowship of the 12 and Judas remained a thief until he betrayed Jesus for money. Now, John would admit, maybe embarrassingly, we were all fooled. All of us, we were fooled. He put on a good face. He looked like us. He talked like us. He did what we did, but he was a pretender, and he fooled us all, except he never fooled Jesus. Jesus knew exactly what was going on in Judas' heart, and Jesus always knew this will be the one who's going to betray me. You can't fool Jesus. So today, you have to ask yourself, am I an enemy of the cross of Christ? Or do I embrace the cross of Christ as my everything? Do I trust in Christ alone? Is my faith only in Him? All my trust, all my hope, Because if you want to add something else that must be done to be saved, you come on this side of the cross and you become an enemy. Are you an enemy or do you you embrace the cross? There's that old hymn. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. We are in the last days. The Lord is coming soon. And I guarantee you, He knows those who truly belong to Him. Last, number three, perspectives. What perspective? There are two of them. He says there are those who set their mind on earthly things and then he says for our citizenship is in heaven two perspectives one of them is all about the world all about earthly things the other perspective is what does God think about this what would heaven say about this this side says how can I live for the world today this side, this side says How am I living for heaven for all eternity? In that verse, there are those who care more about the here and now than they do eternity to come. And they care more about material things of earth more than storing up treasures in heaven. It says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. Paul says, there are those who think earthly things and there are those who think heavenly things then he says for our citizenship is in heaven that word citizenship we know what that means but you know it could also be translated our conversation is in heaven in fact that's how the king james writes it our conversation is in heaven if you ever want to know what perspective somebody has in life whether they're concerned about the earthly or concerned about the heavenly, listen to their conversation. Listen to what they say. Listen to how they talk to you about their difficult moments of life. Listen to how they talk about the certain situations they face in life. You might hear things like complaining, feeling bitter towards someone, even bitter toward God, You might hear what I didn't get today, what someone didn't do for me today. You might hear that. And if you do, that conversation is a very earthly-minded conversation. But they might say, even in the struggle, I know God still has a plan for my life. Even though these hard things are coming against me, I don't know what God is doing, but I know in the end, all things work together for good because I love God. And even in my storms, that's when God does his greatest work in the deepest places of my life. That's where he builds my character in life. If you hear somebody talking that way, that's a heavenly conversation. What do you sound like? What do people hear from your mouth when you talk about the blessings of life or the struggles of life? Listen to how people talk. Because people who are always heavenly minded are always looking at all their situations from God's point of view. Always looking at it from above. Last, he also says in so many words, because we're citizens of heaven, we belong to another world. We don't belong here. We belong to another world. And from that other world, the Lord Jesus is coming back again. And when he does, Paul says that these bodies that we have right now, as good-looking as some of you might be, it's going to get even better. Because the Bible says that when Jesus returns to rapture us out of this world, at the blink of an eye, we're going to be changed. We are going to appear body-wise as Jesus appears. What does that mean? Do you remember Jesus died? And then he buried him in a tomb. And then three days later, his soul was reunited with the same body. He didn't get rid of one and get a new one. It was the same body. It still had pierced hands and pierced feet and a piercing on the side. Same body, but changed. Changed into a glorious body. No longer could this body be hurt. No longer could that body be limited by earthly things. The Bible says that the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty. And I can tell you the stone wasn't rolled away so that Jesus could come out. By the time it rolled away, he was already gone. Because that body was able to walk through walls. His disciples are gathered in secret in a room. The doors are locked. The windows are shut. And boom, there's Jesus in their midst. And that body, it was fit for heaven because that same new glorious body was what ascended up into the skies beyond the clouds. And he right now is the man, Jesus, who sits on the throne in heaven. One day, in the blink of an eye, the Bible says, when we are caught up to meet with him in the clouds, we will be changed And our bodies, as handsome and as beautiful as they are now, it's going to get a whole lot better. And we will be fit for heaven. So not only is this world going away and we shouldn't hold on to it, but even these bodies, don't worry. You're going to get even more handsome. Frank, Fred, and I, and David, I think we're going to have a full head of hair on that day. I mean, it's just going to sprout out, new hair out of our head. We'll see. God only knows. Musicians, would you come up? The Bible says that when all these things take place, it says that the Lord Jesus will subdue all things to himself. He's going to put everything in order. So be patient. Don't lose hope i know there are many attacks in your life today there are many people that say things to you today and oh how you want judgment today for them don't worry be patient because in god's timing he will put all things in proper order and with that paul so lovingly says to them my beloved and longed for brethren my joy and crown Stand fast in the Lord. My joy and crown. Paul's joy was knowing that when he goes up into the clouds, the people of Philippi will also be there with him. And Paul also thinks about that crown that the Lord Jesus will give him one day, as all of you. And Paul knows on that crown... Jesus is going to etch a name on that crown. And it will say, Philippi. My joy and my crown. Those whom I love. Stand fast. Stand fast. Stay the course. Keep pressing on. Keep looking upward. We are in the last days. And the Lord is coming soon. Patterns pretenders, and perspectives. We must be mindful in these things that we're in the last days. Amen? Let's stand together and sing this song that musicians are playing now. Sister Verena, would you lead us?